somehow he made it. With no plane, he'd made it from Western Canada to Istanbul, Turkey. And he was standing next to James Bond at a United Nations summit. He was wearing sunglasses, a traditional hat, and a gigantic gold chain. The scene must have been bewildering for today's guest, Serbian-Canadian humanitarian Philippe Filippi. Amidst a sea of international dignitaries and at least one very confused official from Serbia itself, Philippe was lost in the moment and still a world away from home. To get back, he would need to face even greater challenges than the journey that brought him to the edge of the Asian continent. He does so today on part two of Around the World Without a Plane. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Joe Sills. Today, it's the exciting conclusion of a two-part episode with Philippe Philippi. Uh, he is a humanitarian. He's the founder of 28 June. He's a Forbes advisor. And we pick up where we left off at the United Nations Summit in Istanbul. Hello, sir. Hey, Joe. Um, you also left out. I used to rap a little bit. That's true. You rap a little bit. You're Just a little su- bit. Pretty successful uh, hip hop recording artist. Yeah, I got I got some bars, but we'll get into that later. Thank you for having me back. So let's pick up. We're in Istanbul, uh, and you're only halfway around the world. I mean, you've you've written trains, you've written cargo ships, you've written rental cars, and you've used this incredible Serbian gold chain to sort of navigate through Eastern Europe. Uh, what do you do now? I am in Istanbul. The first ever World Humanitarian Summit just finished, and I'm actually just one third on my journey around the world. A third now, of the way around the world. Yes, yes. Now, th- in this next phase, um, this is where I spend about a year going around Europe. So, you know, this here we can go a little faster. We can do a little more rapid fire, but. Uh, um, what you said kind of brings me to one of my most interesting trips around Europe, which is a very quick 72 hour, maybe even 48 hour trip around the Balkans. Tell me how that uh, works. Absolutely. I'd love to. Now, you said ridden rental cars. Yes. That's wrong. Um, I do not drive. So, how are you? You had a rental car, yeah? Yes. Okay. Uh, just that, that book where you got to learn all the rules. I, I never found that mentally stimulating enough, right. even though it has been on my to-do list. I'm, I'm working on it. 
I think uh, at this point, man, you know, you've found a way around it. Yeah, right. So I got I got to tell you this story. Um, right. So we, we have to do a humanitarian delivery in a region of Bosnia called Herzegovina. Now, okay. this is right at the southern tip, right by Montenegro. Mm -hmm. Maybe an hour from the, from the Adriatic coast. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but before that, we have to stop at like 20 other places like um, Western Serbia and then Croatia and then Bosnia as well. And then come down and do and do a circle. So, you know, I don't have my actually I did. You know what? I did have my license. I had an L. So in Canada, when you kind of pass that written test, you get mm -hmm. an L. OK, so that's so this, like a like sort of a restricted license. Oh, this is just like, you know, I I had no idea. Like if you had put me inside of a car, I you know, I was shocked the first time I was learning how to drive that. Oh boy! You you need one foot for both pedals. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But in Canada, they still give you this L, and they kind of let you go on the road with it. So it's very important to know that I did have this L license, right. which yeah. in Serbia looks like a legit license. Mm -hmm. Be careful anyway, driving in Canada, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, so one of our volunteers, uh, Nina Georgievich, okay. Okay. She's American. She was 16 and she had also just learned how to drive. Mm -hmm. um, we go, we go to the airport, we go to the rental car place. I have to get everything in my name, right? I show them my license, credit organization, credit card, everything. Mm -hmm. They get us the car. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and this guy walks us out to the car. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, you know, he's expecting me. He's like, all right, like, you know, like kind of, you know, are you going to get in and drive off? And I'm like, all right. So I go, I go sit in the driver's seat, okay. you know, and he's still like waiting there. So I'm just like, you know, kind of pretending I'm checking the, you know, the registration. Like I'm. And you're you're the waiting there because you don't know what to do. I, I'm waiting for him just to get out of here so she, we can be so we can switch seats and start on this journey. Yeah. Okay. And after yeah. like wasting like a good 15 minutes, he eventually leaves. We switch spots, and you know, this is when I started. This is uh, if I had to. Would pick the most incredible part of my entire three-year journey around the world. This three days was probably the most interesting part of that bigger journey. Seriously, yeah, this, this was surprising such an, to me. Su such an adventure because she's a new. Okay, so like Serbia, like Turkey, just has like the most kind of like maniac drivers ever. Like you know, they don't care. They're always like you know fighting each other. Yeah, kind of like that scene in like Ben Hur, except. With, with, with cars so it's like just chaos just utter chaos on the road it's, at all times. it's it's chaos to begin with she has had just learned how to drive like in america with the wide roads and everything you know what yeah. i mean mm -hmm. however you know it just felt right we had a mission to do and we're like okay if we stay away from like the bad roads if we stay if we don't get uh stuck in a storm you know it's gonna it's gonna be great and we're optimistic and so you know like, it's we fine still, we've got to go to Bosnia, we've got to deliver this aid. Like we got to do this. Yeah, you know, you're motivated because you're doing it for humanitarian purposes. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'd be amped. Like at this point, it's it's very casual, like the way we're talking about it. But I feel like adrenaline would be going. Like you're starting this exciting journey. It's kind of dangerous because, at the very least, the roads are suspect and the people <laughs> on the roads are more suspect. And then the, I don't, the drivers I don't, aren't exactly professional. Yeah, right? and I, but I I am a good co-pilot, but Joe, I got a I'm experienced. Yeah, well, co I would hope that you were like rapping the whole time. Yeah, I, I kept her awake. 
you know, she had to stay awake. Now, so we're hope we're you know we're hoping good roads. We're hoping no storms. Uh-huh. As soon as we cross the border into the Croatia, I see the most ominous, ominous cloud in the distance. It's like the darkest cloud you've ever seen in your life on the horizon. And uh, and I, I, I and yeah, right. And I and then that's when I knew this this trip would be kind of messed up. Now. Oh so first, so first, so th- this is amazing because I think we hit up 30 cities. I can't, I'm trying to see if it's 72 hours or 48 hours. I think it was maybe somewhere in between like 65 hours. So in 65 hours, we went to 30 cities. This, this is the most insane stuff. So first we stopped at a couple Serbian cities um, before the Croatian border. Then we yeah. get, then we get into the Croatian border. The one, you know, with the cloud above Slavonski abroad in Croatia we keep going we stop at the capital Zagreb uh, we bought some supplies for the trip and then that that's when it gets tricky okay so in the Balkans we have this very interesting uh, kind of thing on the highways it's called a Srnatačka which literally explains the black dot in English uh-huh. and a spot on a highway uh, earns the title black dot if there I think it's something like more than a hundred casualties have occurred here uh, uh, okay. So is it like a warning to other motorists or is it just like a memorial type deal? It, it's a combination. Okay. So you, you'll, you'll have, you'll have kind of like a, a makeshift memorial, but it's also known as like, be, be, you know, be careful here. Okay. Now, <laughs> and so, it's so, just like know, a sign posted or is it painted? It's, it's, it's not a sign. It's just, it's a, they have, they have memorials, but it's also a known thing. They're like, be, okay. they'll tell you, they'll be like, be careful in this area. There's like these dots, all, black dots all over it. Okay. So we wanted to avoid three things. We wanted to stay on kind of the new European Union highways. Mm-hmm. We wanted to avoid a storm and we wanted to avoid night. Okay. We Why did none of like those. None of that? <laughs> we, we did like none, like none of those three took place. Mm-hmm. Um, we started going down through Bosnia, which is like the most mountainous, curvy terrain you will ever see in your life on the worst roads. With I don't want to say they're the worst drivers because, you know, they seem to have a high life expectancy, all things considered. But, like, you know, they're kind of risky drivers, dangerous drivers. Yeah. Um, at night, night fell because we, we didn't plan it out where we'd sleep. And it's like in the middle of this insane storm. And like, what are these roads like? Describe this to us. Okay, so it's like you have these you have these massive mountains that they kind of forced roads in between just to simply connect parts of the country that were never meant to be connected. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to go really slow. You're supposed to be really careful. But you know, like we're like left, right, every angle. You know, she was focused on the road. But I'm seeing these kind of memorials. Everyone, I'm just like, you're doing good. And you know, maybe it's because she was so young. Like you just don't think about anything bad that can happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. She's exactly. so confident. She's so confident. I got to give her credit. She navigated through everything perfectly. Before you know, we found this small kind of hotel lodge at maybe 5 a.m. in the morning um, where this guy just kind of, and I, I, I don't remember his face because it was so dark and there was no electricity there, but I think he had like one tooth and there was like a fresh river at the back of this lodge. And he's like, yeah, like, do you want me to get you some fresh fish? I'm like, not at 4 a.m. No, thank you. We got, you know, we're busy. We got to go. That's a kind offer though, honestly, to go fishing for you at 4 a.m. 
incredibly hospitable people. Incredibly hospitable people. And I, and I forgot to tell you before that we had stopped in uh, Sarajevo, Sarajevo, which is the capital of, of, of Bosnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where they hosted the 84 Olympics. Again, I think we just stopped there for lunch. Incredibly hospitable people. Um, no ethnic tension or anything. How much so far. can you really learn about a place when you're like on this whirlwind tour? And in, in you said 30 cities. Like, do you get... A, a nice portrait of like the overall landscape because you can't possibly get like intimate with each place, right? You you just kind of get a feel for it. Um, so I, I'm definitely generalizing by, by saying it was hospitable, but you know, like let's say like the 30 people we have encountered, we encountered on that quick stay, like you know, asking where to park, where to go. They were they, they were all very nice, but I definitely recommend that uh, if people want to kind of get to know a place, they they don't visit. Uh, thirty places in a two and a half days. Totally, you got to stay a little quest, longer. You know, that's your quest, and it's a unique one. So, yeah, <laughs> it's quite, it's quite interesting. So, you know, then, then we get up early in the morning. Uh, we keep going. At this point, uh, and you know, like we don't. The thing about it is, like the GPS there is gone, but there's one road, so we just kind of keep following it, mm-hmm. and. Then we get to Montenegro. We get to, n- no, no, we didn't get to Montenegro. We got to the bottom tip of the Dalmatian coast in Croatia in the famed city of Dubrovnik. Ah, yes. Beautiful, like medieval walls. and Yeah, we're n- now known for um, Lord of the Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's yeah, so, Like so, super, so every- super touristy place now. Yeah, that, so I couldn't believe that. Because remember, um, my one fun thing in America before all this was D- Disneyland. Yeah, this yeah. was this was more packed than Disneyland. Dude. You know, they were they were selling everything. It was like you know, Game of Thrones themed. You know, Kifle. You know, tradition. It was just kind of ridiculous, overpacked with tourists. But you know, we we were only there a couple hours in the night. Um, slept in a parking lot, and the next morning left right away. Mm-hmm. Over into the into the neighboring country, Montenegro. A beautiful, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful uh, coastal areas in the entire planet. Budva on the beach, up to the capital of of, of Podgorica, and then back to uh, to do our delivery in another uh, in another city in uh, Herzegovina called Trebinje. And also on the side of the highway, we we spot a litter of puppies. Which we decide to rescue. Okay. To completely spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone had just left them there. Um, you know, there's definitely some kind of animal rights issues in the region. First, not going to point any fingers. So now we got these puppies, like very young puppies. They're kind of like peeing all over my feet, but I can't. You know, I, got, I saw them and I felt the responsibility to take care of them. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to do this humanitarian delivery, but we're kind of being slowed down by these puppies because, you know, we can't. She, <laughs> yeah, she had to. She had to fly back to Chicago, so she can't take him back to Chicago. I'm at my aunt's place. You know, I can't, I can't keep him there. Yeah. So then we're looking, like, for a vet. And um, what do you call a dog orphanage? A dog shelter? The dog shelter? Yeah, it'd be a puppy like a, orphanage. A, a humane society or something like that. Mm. Which, you know, that has its own perils at least over here but uh, yeah like what are your options there, really there, you know? there as well there as well you know we're, we're kind of we're kind of looking for a vet um we get to a vet we're just like hey can you check them like one seems to be throwing up are they okay we just find them and the whole time she's thinking like these are 
our puppies that we're trying to get rid of. And she's yeah. kind of being mean to us, but we don't quite understand. Yeah. And they're yeah, like, no, yeah. like we found them on the side of the highway. We want to pay for you to treat them and put them somewhere. And then and her whole attitude changes. She's like, oh, okay. Like now I understand. Anyway, mm-hmm. we get them checked out. We buy some dog food. We found, we find a, a dog shelter in the city over. We drop them off. You know, we feel good about ourselves. We save some puppies and right. we keep going on to the, to the destination where I believe we donated uh, some school supplies and saw the results of a renovation we had paid for in a school. Okay, so talk about talk to us about what that feeling is like when you show up to a place and it becomes real. Like it's not just an email address or a place that you're mailing things to. Like it's a real place that you actually off of <laughs> your abandoned Facebook post years ago have helped. That's a, that's a great question because that is actually something I would suggest to anyone involved in humanitarian work. Um, nothing is going to inspire you as much as seeing your own work in the field and how it positively impacts the people in the area that you've helped. So I would suggest anyone doing humanitarian work, you know, don't do the insane trip I did in the middle of a storm within an experienced driver, but try to safely get to your destination of where your humanitarian work takes place because no, nothing, nothing motivates you to keep doing what you do like that. And uh, it's a very important part of, of being a humanitarian, I believe. It, because it's real. Now it's real, you know? Yeah. Now it's kind of like, you know, these people aren't, you know, people on the screen that send you pictures back. You get a feel for, Oh, they need this. We helped them this. Like, you know, these students will now have a heater, you know, a renovated classroom that doesn't have mold anymore. And, uh, you know, you get, you give them the supplies and it's, it's beautiful. And like, you know, it gives you that motivation to, to keep doing what you're doing. That's great. Like, cause that's really the point of everything. It's, it's easy to get lost in the story where there's like storms and puppies and, and summits and gold chains and whatnot. But actually uh, it is a humanitarian mission. We still, we still, we still get in some humanitarian work. Absolutely. Yeah, like in between the shenanigans. Yeah. And, um, okay. So we, we, we did the humanitarian work. You know, at this point, we're two days in. We've already been to like 30 other cities and we got to get we got to get back to Belgrade because that's the international airport. She's got to fly back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of rushing back through Serbia. And, you know, Nina's definitely going to check out this podcast. Shout out, Nina. You know, incredible driver. We did it together. But so awesome. job. Here, Incredible job. Incredible dots. job. And she, 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 she agrees with me. That was like the funnest thing like we've ever done. Um, now here's the thing though. Um, her style of driving was very interesting, especially when we got back into Belgrade. Okay. I I essentially think that the only rule of the road she observed was getting from one place to the next in a car without hitting anything else. But is it not like the one thing you need to do? Not hit anything Yes, else? That was, that's, that's the way you think about it. I'm not sure about like, it. so for example, she, she, she'd roll down the window and she'd just be like, aerodrome, to like a random, you know, like, and it's so funny. It's just like in America, they think she's crazy, but you know, like we're driving, she's rolling down the window. She's like, aerodrome, which means the airport in our language. And you know, like cars actually stop. They're like, what? Like, why is this person yelling at me? You know, cars going the other way. Yeah. She rolls the window. And she's like, aerodrome. And it's just like, oh, okay. They're kind of confused. And they're like, oh, that way. And then, you know, she'll kind of do a U-turn and follow them. 
It was. Uh, yeah, that's kind of wild. I mean, based on my driving experience in in Eastern Europe, uh, like in Bulgaria and Romania, it, it is kind of the wild west, especially in um, Bulgaria. But that's that's like a next level for me. Oh yeah, so same same thing. We might even be like a little worse. Like you know, like the Bulgarians and Romanians are like, oh wow, like you know, that's. I just remember safe. that that nobody observed the actual lines like painted on the road. Well, then, and also like the <laughs> shoulder, like in North America, there's a shoulder, like a side of the road you pull off on if there's an emergency or something. No, that's just another lane there. Nina, let's just say Nina adapted very well. And yeah. maybe even took it, maybe even took it to the next level. She had to get to the airport and she got to the airport. Oh, another, yeah. Quick, quick, hilarious thing. Um, I got a taxi there like the second day I was in Serbia mm-hmm. and I sat in the front and I went to put my seatbelt on and the taxi driver was offended. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Because you wore a seatbelt? Yeah. Cause I went to put it on. He's like, he's like, he's like, man, man he's like, there's, there's no need for that. Like don't insult my driving. No. Yeah, and I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't really know you, but you know, you know what? No. You know, I blame the patriarch, our part patriarchal culture, but I actually like he peer pressured me into taking off my seatbelt. Oh my god! It's, yeah, yeah I mean, it's awful. That's, it's awful. That's... Keep you keep your seatbelt on. Like you know, they're they're good drivers. They're good drivers, but you know, always keep your seatbelt on. It was like some forty year old car as well, right? So no, yeah, yeah, they're bro, they're, they're not so sketchy. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Yeah, they're 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 a little nuts. Anyway, I think she she makes her flight by like twenty minutes, runs out of this car that's in my name anyway, mm-hmm. and you know I return it and he's like, yo, how you know how was it? I'm like, great, you know, it's, it's a, how's the car? I'm like, it's a great, it's a great, great car, you know. I return it and that was that. That completes it. Thirty cities in three days to like very dangerous train. Absolutely incredible. Had to be documented. What's your best advice for somebody that um, ill-advised, though it may be, tries to do that? Wow. Um, st- if you're the co-pilot, yeah, stay away the and stay awake the entire time and do not take your eyes off the road even for a millisecond. That's terrifying. And then and then just like and then just have like a large jug of water and snacks to keep supplying your driver that does make sense that it's almost like a <laughs> like a rally race you know you gotta like keep your driver yeah, that, that going. france yeah that what is that thing they do in france le mans 24 hours yeah yeah that's that's now i know nina needs to be a race car driver she might be specifically like built for le mans i think i think so i think i think we found her career path she she, she she's a good human she's a good humanitarian but I think this would definitely be more in line with her, with her other talents. Things are heating up for Philippe as we navigate Eastern Europe and head off for dates with China and the South Pacific. But before we get there, I want to tell you about a new weekly podcast from friend of the show, Diamond Dallas Page. It's called DDP Snake Pit, and it stars Page alongside his mentor, Jake the Snake Roberts, and podcaster extraordinaire, Conrad Thompson. If you listen to our episode with DDP in Costa Rica, you already know he can tell a great story. If you haven't, grab your mental surfboard and get ready for an adventure. Well, now Dallas is using his storytelling skills to go in-depth with Jake and Conrad about their friendship, about Jake's journey to rebuild his life after battling personal demons like substance abuse 
and about hilarious travel stories from around the road. You can find DDP Snake Pit on your favorite podcasting apps today. And make sure to let them know the Get Lost podcast sent you. Now, back to the show. So, so at some point, you are you're still kind of hanging out in uh, the Balkans, which makes sense because that's the whole like mission of your foundation. But at some point, you've got to kind of get on with the world, and you find yourself in Mongolia? Mongo- um, oh, we, we had to get to Mongolia. We had to we had to get to Mongolia. So, you know, near nearing the end of my stay in the Balkans, like where you said where where we operate, um, I start kind of devising how I'm gonna get back to the west coast of Canada. Right. Because I'm not going back over the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm going across the Eurasian continent down to Australia. You know where we had we had a large following. Mm-hmm. And uh, and back across the Pacific. So you know, I've spent over a year in Serbia at this point, living at uh, various aunts' houses. Shout out to all of them. Shout out, aunts. and you know, shout out aunts. And um, I did I did like a quick kind of like um, Western European kind of pit stop. Then I, I could I could we could do this kind of like rapid fire. London, London was okay. Went there for some summits. Geneva, Geneva was cool. That's where the this. Oh, okay. Like so, back to the UN. So then I took another UN trip to Geneva. I I didn't have the gold chain with me at this point. So you know, Geneva was kind of like your standard civilized UN visit. Uh, You've been dethroned. They took the chain back. Yeah, yeah. I had I had I had given it. I had given it to a friend of mine, uh, Nikola Perich, that uh, uh, he was an early supporter. We started of the of the organization. Uh, and, you know, that's extremely and I want, generous. I wanted him. I wanted him to have some of that luck. So you know, my trip, my trip to Geneva wasn't that wasn't that glamorous. And um, yeah, that was that was kind of my quick rundown of of European cities and my my first my first impressions of them. <clears throat> I guess this 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 brings us to uh, when I'm setting off for Mongolia. Yes. Okay. The, the adventure begins. The adventure begins. So, I I got to get to Mongolia from Serbia. Um, there's several ways to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I'm a romantic, and uh, I like trains. So naturally, I gravitate to the world famous Trans Siberian Railway. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's like the most logical way to get there, right? If you can't fly, yeah, I was, I was thinking how to answer that. And I was like, for me, yeah, but that's I mean, what I mean. I, uh, like in your yeah, world, for me, yeah, for, for my world, that is absolutely the most the most logical way to get there. Um, however, you know, if, if you look on a map, even in Serbia, I'm I'm even quite a far bit away from uh, from uh, from the Trans Siberian. Um, so you know, the fastest the fastest route would be through the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. However, the Russia Russia and Ukraine are kind of at war now. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I can't, I can't, I can't go through the Ukraine. This, this may have been like around the time they shot, the plane was shot down. Yeah. The passenger like, airliner that yes, got shot down yes, over yes. Ukraine. Yeah. That was yeah, this, very yeah, this suspect. Is, that, that, you know, that was, that was rough. And uh, so I didn't, I definitely didn't want to go through there. So then I go, 
a Serbia hung and this is by bus flex bus flex bus shout out shout out flex or flex bus a nice company they have luxury buses over there Ooh. um i mean if a bus can be luxury <laughs> um it's not will smith's bus and uh, hungary slovakia poland spent two days in warsaw how would i describe that their tall, their tallest, their tallest building in Warsaw, surrounded by like brand new modern skyscrapers, is this giant clock tower the Soviet Union had 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 donated to them. I mean, and I they don't like a clock tower. Is it like the one in Back to the Future? Kind of, but but more Soviet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, more so brutal. Kind of, yeah, more brutal, brutalist architecture. Exactly right. Um, so yeah, the the stay in Warsaw was kind of brief, interesting. Um, they just, just to give you guys some perspective as i as i interrupt you i apologize i just was doing math which is rare um the distance from serbia to mongolia roughly like if you were to fly is about 3800 miles and that's a thousand miles more than new york to la yes it's a yes. really long way to, like it, where it, you're going is an insane insanely long it, way it's the longest thing I could have done on land. And that's that's you know? as the crow flies. I mean, well, what you're doing is going yeah, up in Poland yeah. and all the way around. I mean, you're probably adding, you're doubling the distance, I would say. Right, yeah, because you can't, you know, I, if, I, if, I, if I was to go as the crow flies, I would have gone over the Middle East. So you got you got even got to take a bit of a detour. But um, yeah. yeah, Poland Poland was interesting. One thing that they stood out was uh, there was posters all over the city of the Poles demanding reparations from germany 60 years later i think that's probably fair yeah fair yeah yeah you know because they're just like you you did so much infrastructural damage that hurt our economy for the past 60 years pay up i mean i don't know how they anyone could argue differently but i'm sure somebody will and they'll email me about that <laughs> yeah anyway we'll, we'll we'll go to the next place so I'm uh, so uh, this this is my first experience in a Russian Russian speaking country after Poland. I am in Minsk, Belarus. Right. So Belarus is this like sort of I don't know how to describe this the right way. I think it's a black hole in the minds of a lot of Westerners. Like we don't know much about the country. Uh, it's wedged between Poland and Russia. But can you paint the scene? What is Belarus like? Well, it, as soon as you cross uh, cross into the border, it's kind of like you're, you're taken in, into a, a 1970s kind of Soviet spy movie. Um, That's kind of dope. Just, it, it is, I thought it was pretty dope. Um, just everyone's in uniform. Everything's uh, military uniform. Sorry to, to clarify, not Amtrak's uniform. Military <laughs> uniform. Everyone's a conductor. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, everyone's a corporal. Um, and, and you know, like everything was kind of very official. I had to get a visa with uh, with like my picture on it, you know, so they'd kind of like see what I was up to. Um, a huge contrast between, and this is kind of like the theme of my, of my journey. I would say huge contrast between the capital city and the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. okay. And I'm sure you've seen this as well. Like countries really invest in their capital cities, and they kind of let everything else fall apart. That is true. Unfortunately. Minsk is actually pretty cool. I thought it was, I thought it was very clean, um, green, organized. Seemed kind of like everyone follows the law, but you got to do that when you uh, 
have the same ruler for 30 years. Yeah, because they have like this uh, authoritarian regime in Belarus, do they not? They do. They, they do. And at that time, it seemed to have been working for them. So, so that, at that time, that was kind of like a model of stability in Eastern Europe. Only, yeah. only like recently is that kind of like crumbling. Yeah, we should probably yeah. talk about like how things aren't going so well. Like just in brief right now, um, they're getting themselves into a lot of like human rights issues. Of course, there's famous like Olympians that defected and uh, it's, it's definitely not all peaches and cream there at the moment. Yeah, he kind of he overstayed his welcome. I Eastern, Eastern Europeans kind of tend to like stability. Like there's a lot of cult of personality over there. But mm -hmm. and he, he honestly seems to, at least from what I saw, the standard of living seemed to be OK. But um, for they, I think they had issues with COVID as well. I don't know if they kind of officially recognize what's going on there, but maybe that that may have kind of triggered. Well, like if you, the recent... if you just Google Minsk right now, it's going to pop up and look like a normal city. I mean, you can book a double tree hotel there. There's a Hampton Inn. I mean, it's like any city oh. anywhere in North America uh, in parts. Oh, a quick, quick story there. I visited my friend Dana there and they're Serbian, but they do construction projects in Minsk. And it was the first time I had been to a mall with someone who the mall is named after. That's interesting. So I went, I, I went with Dana, get, like, Dana access? Mall. You know, um, no, we went in through the front door, but I did. I was like, hey, Donna, you want to quickly like pose in front of, of the mall so I can take a picture of Donna Mall with Donna. But no, we just, uh, I think they just newly constructed it and they were kind of like showing me like the theater and stuff like that. So that was a little different. Yeah, cool. All right. So Minsk, Minsk is is interesting place <laughs> um, and you're well on your way now to the Trans-Siberian. Yes, I leave Minsk. Awful food, by the way. Still on the bus, though. Now I get... No. Now I board a Soviet-era Russian bus for Moscow. Okay. And and this... this Like, I didn't like this. Um, it's very communal. Like, this is weird. It's like kind of these little cubbies with like benches on each side and bunk beds and you will have like eight seven or eight people there that just like don't know each other um uh, okay. and then like and then you're expected and this is kind of interesting because like this will be a contrast to vietnam and then you're kind of expected to like change the pillows yourself and change and like wash the linen and stuff it was it was very bizarre so basically i i went to the top bunk and pretended to be asleep for like 20 hours because <laughs> you I didn't turned, want to like interact with anyone yeah, right? yeah yeah you know like i i had to pee i didn't i was just kind of holding it in laying facing the wall for 20 hours um and Why after 20 hours just freaked out by like the people around you or the whole scene is weird you know you know what like i think maybe maybe after maybe after a year and, and some change at this point joe i was a little tired of trains yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah, you know, and then not to mention that I had just been on buses all the way from Serbia to to, to, to Minsk and and to that. I it just I wasn't feeling it. Um, not too many observations. Besides, you do go through some cities that are kind of like um, you you kind of start. It takes you kind of back to history class because you start remembering some of these cities, like you know the Battle of Brest, where the Soviets kind of pushed back uh, the Nazis in World War Two. Mm -hmm. So that was that frontier. So kind of like every city going towards Moscow, you're like, oh, like there was the battle of that, the battle of that. And they'll have some 
some kind of monument. But um, yeah, which is stuff that's like totally overlooked from the American <clears throat> like history books. I mean, they don't teach us about any of that. It's like in World War Two. Hitler took over the world, and then America saved the day, and that's it. Like, they yeah, might right? mention the Brit- they might mention the Battle of Britain. Like, you may be here about Winston Churchill, but that that's a, that's a very important point, and I really thank you for that on behalf of all Eastern Europeans. And I got to give the Russians a shout out here because I'm going to keep it real with their with their food and how bad it was going forward. <laughs> um, they fought extremely bravely in World War II. To put it in perspective, um, 25 million Russians died uh, defending their homeland uh, against Hitler. And comparatively speaking, not not to kind of diminish the American sacrifice, because you guys actually kind of like went over the ocean to something that to, you know, to Europe that wasn't, uh, you know, directly attacking you. And I think maybe like a million Americans uh, had given their lives. Yeah, in that it was, it very was like crazy a million, battle. maybe, maybe two maybe but yeah i mean a fraction of what happened in yeah an in enormous Russia. enormous sacrifice so we definitely have to have to point that out in and, and canada too canada came with us <clears throat> yes yeah thank you for that in both wars yeah if you uh drive through like normandy you see a lot of british canadian american like tiny flags hanging from pubs and stuff still so it's it's kind of neat but um yeah, absolutely. Something that's overlooked, I think, it, at least when I was in school, was the the Russian involvement in the war and just how massive it was. And like, you know, most of the we're gonna get in a freaking history class here, but it was like <laughs> most of the German army was actually deployed on the Eastern Front, and so it made things a lot easier than they would have otherwise been. I uh, absolutely eighty percent of the German casualties took took part in the Eastern Front, and uh, I and I ha- I gotta give Serbia a shout out here. Uh, because because Serbia, well, then Yugoslavia resisted so gallantly against the Nazi occupation, they had to revert 35 Nazi divisions from the Eastern Front to kind of quell us. See, that's a and, huge help then to, to yeah. everyone else. So yeah, they, so shout out to Serbia. That's some credit. Credits due there. Sh- shout out to Serbia. The only country in World War II to free itself without Russian or American help. See, that's why they let you into Istanbul, dude. That, that's why. That's why they gave me that gold chain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So anyway, you're you're well on the way to Moscow, and you're like in this very weird bunk situation. It's it's uncomfortable, but in Moscow is is your actual connection to the Trans Siberian Railway, which will ultimately get you all the way across the country, sort of across the country, across the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Moscow, I enter in Moscow. I just can't wait to get off this train. Um, I go to the first, the first place I went to was uh, Subway. Subway is pretty consistent all over the world. Oh, like the sandwich place. Yes. Yeah. All right. Dig it. You know, it's, you know, it's consistent. It's, it's not the best, but it's consistent. You know, I, yeah, right. Yeah. You know um, I'm get. in Moscow. To lay down the scene of Moscow, again, along with Istanbul and Los Angeles, uh, one of one of the biggest cities I have ever been in my life until that point. Okay? This gets very interesting when I get to China. So I can't wait to get to that part. Yeah, the <laughs> that scale. Blew all of that, that, that blew all of that out of the water. The but, scale um, of humanity is just overwhelming there, I feel. Yeah, incredible. But uh, so, you know, we're... Uh, I'm in Moscow. Um... My girlfriend at the time flies in. That's that we 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 meet up in Moscow, 
spend a couple days in Moscow. Um, very interesting city. Uh, much different than the rest of Russia. This is where they put all their money in. So they have they have like a business district, which is like nothing you've ever seen. You know what I mean? Um, absolutely incredible. Um, we sticking to humanitarian work. We quickly meet up with with this Russian youth organization. We go to their offices. I think the government gave us some incredible, incredible offices, and they they give us like a quick lecture that uh, Russians had put the first man in space. Yeah, call I them. Mean- Call them a cosmo. Yeah, it's Sputnik. Then they, I think they put the first dog in space as well, Laika. You know, they they had to tell us about that. The first guy was like Yuri something. Yes, uh, Yuri Gregorian. And this is kind of cool because when I went across Russia, I then later went to his hometown in Siberia. So that guy kind of followed me the entire way I was there. But uh, the the Kremlin is gorgeous. Like the Red Square, they really uh, keep that part really clean. And then besides that, what stood out to me was they had an entire massive luxury mall just for kids. Fascinating. What do you mean for kids? It was just toy stores and children's stores. That's badass. Yeah, right? So that that's kind of how, how rich some of these new rich people are in Russia, that they have an entire like eight, ten-story luxury mall just for children. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. So, so tell us about getting on the Trans Siberian. Um, we're gonna link to another episode actually, where we we have a, a we actually have another encounter with this Trans Siberian Railway. But um, tell us about boarding the the train. Like, what's the plan? Because keep in mind, you're trying to get to Australia, so you can see your supporters, so you can sort of get home from there. But you're still at this point in Moscow, and again, planes we- not allowed. We gotta go. We get. We gotta. We gotta begin the the epic uh, Trans Siberian. Uh, we go to board the train. There's a bomb threat. The army comes with dogs. I don't know who they were beefing at the time. Maybe Chechnya or Syria. Um, bomb threat. They cleared. It was a little. It was a little scary. But then so they let us back in. You get on the train in. and then dogs and you gotta. No, get off at, the train. At, the, at the at the, tra- at the train station actually they had to they had to clear it and they brought in bomb sniffing dogs. But you know they cleared that up. Mm-hmm. We get back on. The trains are nice. The trains are nice. Com- comparing it to to Amtrak's, I'd say they might they might even be a little nicer than Amtrak's. Like Joe Biden's gonna be kind of pissed off when he hears this, but they might be they might be a little nicer than Amtrak's. At least these Trans Siberian ones. I mean, maybe he um, can go there and get some like tips because Amtrak needs a little love. Yeah, right. Like I don't know, but Am- Amtrak is a special place in my heart, as you know from from the first time we talk. In my mm-hmm. heart, but but uh, this this was nicer. Um, we, it's it's a seven day trip, okay. And the internet isn't the greatest, so my girlfriend had downloaded uh, every episode of of Lucifer. Okay, seems which, appropriate. Worst 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 show ever. <laughs> Absolutely, you have like, it. Was, at, least, uh, at least you have it. Yeah, at least we had it. We ended up watching like 10 episodes a day. It was awful. Um, yeah, okay, so this, the journey starts. I'm trying to remember because this is seven days. Now, Russia has like eight time zones, but uh, the Russian railway system only uses Moscow time. 
So when they want you to board that stuff, like you got to disregard what time it is where you are, which can be like a nine hour difference when you're in Siberia. Yeah. Your ticket says the Moscow time. And then and then it's like we we do read the Silleric, which is their alphabet, but we don't know mm-hmm. their language. So you have like times that don't make any sense and a language that doesn't make any sense. And not many of them speak English. Right. You know, right. you know I'm, so like, I'm, like, I'm like, like sort Sweden. of a puzzle. Nah, yeah, that's when it gets interesting, right? So, um, like, imagine in, in uh, so for listeners, uh, you can like you know Arabic letters, so we can read Spanish and French. But if you don't know Spanish and French, you don't actually know what the letters mean. Exactly, exactly. And and even their syllabic is a little different than than than, than, than the Serbian ones. So that was an adventure. Um, two, I believe it took us two and a half days to get to Ekaterinburg. That was our first stop. Uh, that's kind of like their, oh, this is so funny. This is like the longest, biggest country in the world. You have to look at a map to get like this. I think it's twice as long as the, the United States. And awesome. there's kind of like three cities, Moscow, Ekaterinburg, roughly in the middle, and Irkutsk in Siberia. No, Irkutsk in Siberia. And that's where we stopped. But these on train, these cities are like two, three days apart. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is unbelievable. If um, you if you want to look up Ekaterinburg, <clears throat> it would be spelled like Yekaterinburg to us. Yes, so it looks like yes. it says Ye- Yekaterinburg, but it's Ekaterinburg. And uh, what stands out there? That is the place where they uh, exit where the communists uh, executed the Romanovs, oh, where they had yeah. them line up for like a picture, and then Anastasia escaped, and like you know Rasputin fell in the wouldn't die. So there's a lot of you know a lot of a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. Um, Besides that kind of nondescript, they were they were trying to clean up to organize for the World Cup at that point. Back on the train, food still sucks. And like the thing about like the, the, uh, American service is better. I, th- I found American service on the train more professional. Like, you know, if they kind of like if you order like a burger, you know, and some hash browns and some salad, Amtrak's is, if nothing, consistent mm-hmm. with their food. The Russians is kind of like this babushka in the kitchen. And you know what? If she's not in a good mood, like you <laughs> yeah. will get, you know what I mean? Like we yeah. got like the, it was, it was kind of, we're just like, okay, uh, anyway, you know, uh, I, won't, I won't hate too much. Um, we get off. They did have some good burger joints. Uh, then we get off at our last stop in Russia, which is the Siberian city of Irkutsk. Hmm. Describe this is Irkutsk to me. This is on the on, shores of Lake Baikal, is it, isn't it? On, on the shores of Lake Baikal, and that's a big part of their marketing. Like you know, there's kind of like this white sea fur creature there, and like that's kind of the mascot for the city. Yeah, it Come was to this lake that's rumored to be full of aliens and weird stuff. And yeah, and biggest biggest is biggest freshwater lake in the world, I believe. Yeah, yeah, so it's a big thousands deal. of feet deep, like something crazy like that. That's where the scenery got kind of nice. Um, the the you know the the rest of the trip was pretty kind of pretty standard. It was uh, it would have been uh, fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, Russia didn't have the same variety, at least from what I saw from the train, the same variety of uh, landscape that uh, I see in the U.S. with Amtrak's. Okay. But that area around Lake Baikal definitely got to be a little funner. Um, home place of of uh, Yuri. Who, who was the first man in space? Um, shout out. So but when you get there, is there like a statue of him or anything? 
They uh, not right away. Um, the 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 train station's a little bit older, but like the city. But once you get into like the city square, they do have this like eternal flame, and they do have a, like a big statue to him. He's he's a big deal over there, as he should be. Right, as he I'm, should be you know, the first man in space. Be. I mean, that's a massive achievement. That, that, that's a big achievement indeed. Um, I'd say so, until we got to the moon, that's like the pinnacle of exploration ever in the history of mankind for a while you know he was like the he had traveled further away from home than any human ever had ever and imagine being the first guy to do that like you know we yeah. see we see jeff bezos um and uh and that um the yeah. british guy virgin guy uh richard branson, branson. Yeah. branson yeah like you know they're kind of doing it touristy but this this was the first guy that was kind of like you know, I'm gonna do this. But to be fair, if it was gonna be anyone, it was gonna be kind of some ru- Russian guy. You know, oh, yeah. had a little bit of vodka, and then he's like, "Let's do this for the motherland." Yeah, and I don't but imagine he had like a choice. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, listen, this is our chance to be the Americans. Get up there. Yeah, I mean, I might be wrong about that, but I, I like the way I, I imagine it. In my like naive American view is like they were just like Yuri, you were going up, and he's like, yeah, like, Yuri Laika did it. She didn't come back, but we're going to make every effort to bring you back. Get up there. Yeah. Like, this is happening. And, yeah, and, but all jokes aside, a huge, huge, yeah, just so, they don't, just so you don't get taken out by the FSA, FSA Joe, successor of the KGB. Uh, a huge, huge accomplishment for them. Hats off to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no Serbs have ever been in space. <laughs> you're really... Not even, cl- not even close. You're really not buttering even, them up now. Um <laughs> Well, the cool thing about Irkutsk is it's also uh, relatively close to the Mongolian border, right? Relatively. Which means you, you've, so you've got a transit, I'm painting this in my mind, I've got a map pulled up, but uh, Irkutsk is sort of like southern end of Siberia, and to get to China, you have to go through Mongolia, yeah? This is the part of the trip where no one goes. Okay. Um, right, explain so, that. Explain that. What? No one goes there. Th- th- this. This is just not an area you go to. Uh, Irkutsk, northern Mongolia. Th- now you're starting everywhere else. In this point, you had some kind of tourists. Mm-hmm. At this point, there is nobody that's not from there. Right. You know, even <laughs> so you even even, even Japanese even even Japanese tourists. You know, who are notorious for going everywhere. Even there, like I don't I don't see them. Um. I have in order to cross into Mongolia, you gotta go to uh, a, a a city called. Ooh, it's it's Mongolian ethnically, but it's within the Russian Federation. It's called Ulan Ude. Mm-hmm. Everyone there looks Mongolian. The only thing that makes you know you're in Russia is a giant statue of Lenin, in 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 the middle. That is how you know. Yeah, that's how you know very well. But there, there's also Central London in Seattle. I mean, Did you know, you know, well, if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be in Seattle. Yeah, that <laughs> does make sense. Like, if there's going to be a Lennon statue in America, it's Seattle's the place. Um, Maybe Portland. So, or Portland, yeah. <laughs> or Austin. Yo, Austin, they would like spray paint it or something cool, them, like tie dye. I don't know. That, yeah, there's, there's some of that old guard Texans there. You're right. But uh, yeah, okay. So, like, no, so no one has ever, like, if. If anyone that listens to your show and follows you has been to Ulan Ude on the Mongolian-Siberian border, message me. 
Like this is like everything else I tell you on this, I'm sure someone has been there, but I, I think I'm the only person that has ever been here last 500 years. And um, just to give you another kind of quick historical touch before we get into the, the, the trip to Mongolia, Russia is very interesting because when you think of Russia, you think of just Russians. And kind of like when you think of America, you think of multicultural, uh, you know, you got like your white Americans, your African Americans and, and uh, Latinx, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Asian Americans, but yeah. Asian, Amer- you know, Asian Americans as well, Indian Americans, but the, those are kind of the main groups. I thought Russia was all Russians. As soon as I got there, I kind of saw that they had a similar mix, mm-hmm. except their minorities would be the Central Asians. Mm-hmm. Like from Kazakhstan and stuff, and then the people from the Caucasus, like Georg- uh, um, like Georgia, Armenia, Uzbekistan, countries like that. So mm-hmm. quite a diverse country. And the more east you go, the the more diverse it gets. So at this point, like everyone looks Mongolian, mm-hmm. and um, we, we take this we take this uh, bus through really rough Siberian tundra terrain from Ulan Ude to the Mongolian border. Now, I have no idea why this is necessary. And I, I promised myself I'd kind of look it up once I got to safety. Yeah. There was, we thought we were on the border 12 times because there was 12 stops and army checks. I was so confused. I'm like, okay, so that was the border. I'm in Mongolia. That was the border. I'm in Mongolia. But for some reason, there was, why would there be stops? What are they looking the, for? I, I, I have no idea. Like, you know, Gen- you know, the Genghis Khan is long gone at this point. You know, there's no threats of invasion from Mongolia. They're fully pacified. Yeah. What? Why? And trafficking? Like, trafficking of what? Right? Like, not there. I, That's bizarre to me. So, are they, they're Russian checkpoints. Russian checkpoints. Ru- Russian, Russian military. There must be uh, some kind of weird smuggling situation going on. Or yeah, they just want to hassle you or training people. I don't know. Yeah, maybe training, right? Because this is complete middle of nowhere. The only thing you have is these kind of stops. Anyway, we get to Mongolia. I had overstayed my Russian visa by one day because I got a little cold in Irkutsk. You know, that's what you do when you go to Siberia. You catch a cold. Yeah, yeah. And it's rite of passage. The Russian border patrol and military they take me off this train in the complete middle of nowhere. Oh, boy. Uh, What's around you? Yeah, okay, so around me is, it's this small, it's this tiny Russian border town, kind of the last population outpost. On the other side of where Mongolia is, you have absolutely nothing, right? So this, I'm in, I'm in this is truly the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, um, they, you know, and they, I think we got interrogated for about eight hours mm-hmm. because, because I had overstayed my Russian visa and, you know, like they know I'm Serbian, um, you know, like very friendly country to Russia. That's, that's our yeah. big brother. But you don't have uh, your chain. I didn't. Uh, there you go. Oh, I no. should have known. I should have never gave interrogation because you don't have the chain, dude. I should have never, I should have never gave that away. Yeah. And so what is that like when you're getting interrogated by like the Russian It military? wasn't it wasn't too bad. That's one th- that's another kind of misconception I had about Russians. Like I thought everyone was kind of like this kind of very masculine Putin aggressive type, not mm-hmm. at all. And I want and I want your uh I want your listeners to look out for this. Russian men actually have very feminine looking hands. 
What I could, I could, yeah, it, 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 like they're, they're it's, it's just kind of is they're kind of like kind of like a soft feminine culture. It's not like Putin. They're quiet. They're shy. They keep to themselves. Like I think only when you try to invade them do they sacrifice twenty five million people for the motherland. Yeah, or maybe they're invading <laughs> someone else. But, but yeah, but slickly. So are you, you know, saying they have a PR problem? Is that? I, it was. It wasn't. I wasn't waterboarded. They were just kind of like asking me questions. Like when he stepped out of the room, I went and played on his computer. He's like, try not to play on our computer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, you did not, you're not going to tell me what to do. We freed ourselves. I'm Serbian. We freed ourselves from the Germans. I'm thinking to myself. Yeah. But I know it was cool. But, but you know, he, he held us a long time. And it was kind of like, it was kind of friendly. Then he drove us to the bank where we had to pay some kind of hilarious fine, like maybe $5. Mm-hmm. And then he lets me go. But the bus is gone, and the bus comes every 24 hours. Oh, God. Now, this, this, is, this is where it gets really cool and interesting, and this is where there was a little bit of a, of, of a culture shock. So, okay. at this entire, so Joe, I'd been around the world at this point, and I, I have honestly kind of felt safe this entire journey. This is where it gets a little interesting. Okay. They let us go in the Mongolian border with nothing. They just they just kind of let us go into Mongolia. And like I'm like, I can't. In? Yes, yes. So so but so this isn't like the capital city of Mongolia. They just kind of they were, we were ushered out of Russia into the Mongolian, like northern Mongolian plains where there's nothing. And you know, I don't speak Mongolian. They don't like they don't really speak English. Um there's nothing there. Like, you know, there's there's Mongolian customs and they let us in. Uh-huh. And then I'm just like, and you know, like, like the, there's no, there's no internet, there's no nothing. This is where I was like, all right, this is kind of weird. So I go back to the Russians, like, dude, like this is like, are you guys insane? I'm like, you know, when's the next bus? They're like tomorrow. I'm like, well, can you call a cab? And you know, he laughs in Russian. It's like there's and no cabs. There's no cabs, and he starts negotiating with Mongolian drivers. Okay. To drive us into Ulaanbaatar, which is the the Mongolian capital, like 12 hours away. And these aren't taxi drivers. These are just random people going into Mongolia. Well, it's like nice of them to try to do. I mean, you know, yeah, yes and no. I wish he would have just let me go back on that tra- uh, the bus. But right. anyway, uh, he, he finds us a driver. And this was one of the coolest cultural experiences I've ever seen. Okay. They didn't speak any English besides what the Russian told them. And I and I paid the first guy very little money, if anything at all. He put us in his car, and he drove us without really saying a word because he can't he can't kind of he can't kind of speak any English. Another really interesting thing is they wear um they wear they wear necklaces with what at first glance a Westerner would look like the swastika. Mm, which yeah. we associate, but it's not a swastika; it's a Buddhist symbol. Mm-hmm. It's backwards, and they're Buddhist, right? Mm-hmm. And but I knew that right away, so like you know that that kind of clicked. Uh, he, we were driving. Uh, we get passed to another driver. He just, he's just like he talks to the Mongolian, just explains where we're going. I'm pretty sketched out at this point because this is kind of like you know this is these are these are the plains of Mongolia. They could do whatever they they wanted yeah. to us. It's like However, one of the most remote places on the planet. On the planet. However, they don't. We switched drivers five times. These were so these weren't friends. These Mongolian people did not know each other. It was just five 
kind Mongolian strangers that had, we had switched cars five times and they had safely taken us to the Mongolian capital. Like that was, that was really cool. I don't know if I explained that correctly. Like, do you understand what I'm saying here? Yeah, they were passing you off from, from one to the other and what sounds like with little or no compensation. Exactly. Like, because the first money was given to that first guy, right? So I, yeah. like, even if you gave that first guy, like, like, how did he pay these other five people that he didn't know that all... So like very and they're just of, they're just helping you out. It's probably something to do with the Buddhist thing, man. Very very communal people. Like how cool is that? That's it's pretty amazing. And to me, <clears throat> I guess it's it's not super surprising because I've felt that kind of hospitality from people before around the planet that just see a traveler in need and and they help you out. I mean, I think it's like unless we're taught otherwise a very core element of humanity that you could i couldn't have said it better myself uh the planet is generally a friendly place yeah i think so and and there's so much like fear-mongering in our society um that we lose track of that i mean you run into people we all know people that live in Fear of things that are different than them, of people that speak different languages or look different, and that fear is toxic, and it causes conflict. Like, yeah, there's bad people and there's bad actors on the planet, but for the most part, I think those people are in the minority, and most average people you meet are going to try to help you. I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know, this this trip was a testament to that. Um, you know, like we were in the middle of nowhere. They could have tried to they could have just like kind of robbed us and left us in the Mongolian plain to try to hail a Bactrian camel back to Russia or something, right? Yeah. Um, but they didn't. They didn't. It was very fair. Um we get into we get into Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. Mm -hmm. They they drop us off at the Genghis everything there is um branded after Genghis Khan. They drop Actually. us off at the at the Genghis Khan hotel overlooking Genghis Khan Square, where there's a giant statue of Genghis Khan. And I hope there's drink, a Genghis Khan grill, please God. <laughs> there, there's a Genghis Khan grill. There's, we, we, drink, we drink Genghis Khan beer. Yes. I'm, not, I'm not making any of this up as well. Um, the very, very interesting, so we, we got to stay, we had to stay about a week there where I try to figure out my visas for the rest of the countries on my trip. Uh, just really quickly, like I said, very communal people. Some of the tallest people that I've seen in my life. Mm. All of them were extremely. All of them were extremely tall. Interesting. When when you walk on the sidewalk, um, the women, it's in their culture. The women don't move, so they'll run into you if you don't move. So the, when you're on a sidewalk, the women do not have to move. They just walk straight. Oh, it, I kind of like that. It's your job to get out of their way. Yes. Yes. And uh, I kind of. Uh, I think I like that. I support that. It was. It was pretty cool. It was. It was. It was definitely interesting. Um, pretty. You kind of think like Mongolia, but I'd. I'd say the the the, the capital is getting pretty modern. Mm -hmm. Pretty modern. Uh, very cool country. Like again, like a place not many people go to. I highly recommend it if you want to. If you want a different experience, uh, check out Mongolia. But. Uh, Okay, we're not even halfway around the world, Joe. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to kind of hurry it up a, a little bit here because I'm only I'm only in Mongolia. Welcome to the home stretch. I don't know that we've ever told a story that covers more mileage than today's episode. 
but sometimes you want more than a bird's eye view of destinations, activities, and history. If you're like me, travel only inspires more questions about places from the past that still linger today. And if you're looking for answers to those questions, it's a great idea to put Dig It with Raven on your watch list. You know Raven Todd De Silva, a resident archaeologist and ancient toilet expert. She joined us right here on a visit to Oman just last year. But she's got many more stories to tell. Her YouTube channel digs deep into history's greatest legends, from the Viking burial at Sutton Hoo to China's terracotta army and the truth behind King Tut's curse. So next time you're on YouTube, scrolling TikTok, or flipping through Instagram, make sure to visit Dig It With Raven and tell her the Get Lost podcast says hi. This 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 is this is where it's gonna get serious okay let's go mongolia after 10 days i leave mongolia for china Mm -hmm. we catch a mongolian train and i do not have a chinese visa and as a canadian citizen i need a chinese visa however i could not get one in time i found a very obscure rule that china has that if you are only passing through China, you have 24 hours within the country that you can stay there without a visa. Okay. Okay. How, so you've got the, a, you've however, got a loophole, but it's a 24-hour loophole. That's a, that's a loophole for people flying into the airport. That's yeah. Chinese people wanting you to get out and spend some money. Okay. Mm-hmm. I pull up to the Chinese border on this Mongolian train and I tell them that loophole and they're like, we have never heard of that in our lives. <laughs> we have never seen a Western tourist try to cross on the inner Mongolian border. They're like, get the hell off the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Mongolian border in the middle of the night, I'm escorted from the train surrounded by seven soldiers on each side that take me to an office for even more interrogation. Wow. This is like becoming a theme in your life. Yeah. Th- this, this is where it gets interesting. Um, now, they have never seen this before. They're like, why is this guy trying to enter China from Mongolia with no visa? And he seems kind of relatively normal. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I wasn't mm-hmm. looking homeless at this point. I got to regroup myself in Mongolia. Uh, they sit me down. They question me. They're like, they're like, who are you? What are you doing here? I explain everything to them. I run a humanitarian organization. I'm going to Australia. I'm actually Serbian. And had I used my Serbian passport at that point, I wouldn't have even needed a visa, but I didn't have it done. They're questioning me. They're interrogating me. Everything checks out. And I think I kind of befriended this officer. He's speaking English to me. Uh-huh. He goes on my Instagram. He's like, wow. He's like, oh, Novak Djokovic. I know him. And he's like, wow. And like, you know, <laughs> it all kind of, ties together. Like, I, I think I'm his, I think I'm his best friend. And after an hour of answering this question, I'm like, okay, he's going to let me in. Cause mm-hmm. technically I'm following their law for the 24 hours, even though that's meant for plane passengers. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his superior comes in and we're kind of friends. So he was kind of like, yeah, like, oh, like, you know, your pictures are so nice. We're about to let you go. And then I don't know where he's like, so why did you come to China with no visa? And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, I thought we were friends. You know what I mean? Oh, he so, pulled the, the, the heel turn yeah, on I was so like, quick. I was like, I was That's like, the old like, bait and switch, my yeah, guy. I, yeah. I was like, what in the world? Um, I, but I think that was, that was his kind of last ditch attempt to try to get me to confess something before they were going to let me go. <laughs> yeah. And they let me go. But little did I know they had like they, they sent another kind of uh, 
entourage of military personnel to interrogate my girlfriend and to have her match every single thing that I said. And they told her, they're like, had you not said everything you said to match his story, we would have kept both of you guys. So then they, they let me go. They're just That's like, terrifying. you have 24 hours to get to Hong Kong. Oh my God. I'm in Northern China and China is a huge country too. So I'm in Northern China and then I get back on the train, you have 24 hours to get to Hong Kong. But super fun, but that's kind of, cause I mean, like, you know, even America, if you kind of enter America without the right papers, like, yeah. as you know, on the Southern border, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing? But anyway, they let me in cause yeah, of this bizarre loophole, mm -hmm. uh, let me in. We go to Beijing, rush through the biggest train station in the entire world get on a train with one second left we're relieved we're crying of joy you know because we have 24 hours to get to hong kong yeah turns out and we're on the train turns out the train's going the wrong way oh no we tell the conductor the conductor takes us off luckily we had not gone too far they tell us they're like all right listen like stupid western tourists they draw like a little circle yeah on uh, on the platform they're like stay here and don't move until the next train comes <laughs> the next train comes we get on it takes us to, and I'm, I might need your help with a little bit with geography here. There's a massive Chinese city of like 50 million right outside of Hong Kong. Guangzhou. Oh, Guang Guangzhou, I think. Yeah, Guangzhou is the name of it. Guangzhou. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Yeah, it's I, like, it's I like had, north of Macau and Hong Kong. Yeah, like, it was. It's like I, one was, big metroplex kind of though. Yeah, it, it was the most insane thing. We went from one, we just went from like east, from the center of downtown to the other side of downtown. It took like three hours in a cab. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so quickly out of that place, which is the biggest city like anyone's ever seen. And then I Googled it later. It was like, oh, metropolitan area, 60 million people. I can't begin to describe that. So you yeah. got it. Just go there. You want to see some next level shit? Go there. <laughs> quickly, quickly get into Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong is awesome tropical new york love it um however you know i can only stay there seven days as well because i get got to get to australia yeah from hong kong back through southern china nanning on the same day that they're marking uh their japanese with the Japanese occupying them during world war ii every yeah. single channel every single channel on tv was showing uh Chinese war propaganda movie. So why are you going back through China though? That doesn't make sense. To me. Well, because Hong because Hong Kong is on you in order in order to uh, get back down to Vietnam where I was going next. I had to go from Hong Kong. Oh, back right. to China. Yeah, yeah, there is like a stretch of, of yeah, yeah, miles South, well, or so, yeah, no, all yeah, all this, yeah, yeah, quite a bit like you know southern China. Yeah, uh, show up to the Vietnamese border. Uh, you know, very cool Chinese Vietnamese uh, train crossing border. Very very cool. Very cool. Two two ancient civilizations that have been neighbors for thousands of years. Yeah, hated hated each other until they, besides the Vietnam War, where they teamed up against America. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll go quickly here. Uh, Vietnam, very cool country, very communal. Uh, these Buddhist countries are very communal. Like so, nobody like everyone like used the same pillow on the train. You know what I mean? Like every, it just gave like a whole one family vibe, all of Vietnam. So did uh, you ride the train through Vietnam down to like a port or what? Not yet. I had ridden the entire train all through Vietnam uh, until I came to Cambodia. Yeah. So the full, the full, and I stopped three times in Vietnam, beautiful country. And now I'm in Cambodia. 
Cambodia, you know, it's it's that's a developing country. Uh, the the border with Vietnam and Cambodia again was a little bit sketchy. Mm-hmm. You you kind of got to be careful there. You kind of got to barter who's going to take you across. Um, went through Cambodia in a van. Yeah, that with, seems seems about right. Yeah, through Cambodia in a van. It was pretty cool. The only thing that stood out in Cambodia to me that kind of caught me off guard was you know how like. Like you've been in Eastern Europe. You know how like Eastern Europe has stray dogs? Yeah. On the side of the road. Yeah. You know, fair amount. On the side of the road in Cambodia, they had stray cows. That's dope though. That was, it was dope. It was different. It was different. Um, anyway, I couldn't, I didn't get a chance to go to Angkor Wat or anything. Mm -hmm. Get to Thailand, uh, stay, um, one or two nights in Bangkok in the middle of like some monsoon season. Cool city. Can't tell you much about it. Didn't didn't spend too much time in Thailand. Uh, from Thailand by train to Malaysia. Through Malaysia to my final destination of Singapore, where I was going to catch my cargo ship. That makes sense. That is where a lot of cargo ships would be, isn't it? It's one of the biggest ports in the world. So I can't yeah. tell you much about... It's not fair for me to tell you much about Malaysia because I didn't spend much time there. You know, what could I tell you? Interesting food fusion. I get to I get to Singapore in Singapore I board uh, a cargo ship. Now these cargo ships are very interesting because uh, the crews are usually made out of just two ethnicities. So this is so weird because they kind of want everyone to get along, mm-hmm. um, but they also kind of I guess they want some diversity. This crew was half Bulgarian. Shout out Bulgaria again. <laughs> awesome. Half half Sri Lankan. Interesting. Why are there so many Bulgarians on cargo ships? I I think I think because they have the port there, so like maybe they have like a big naval academy. Yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, um, we set on a two-week trip from Singapore to Australia. Um, and th- you know th- this this is cool. Like you know we're going we're going through like the Strait of Malacca where all the pi- pirates are. You know what I mean? So, you know, yeah. the captain's like, you know, be wary of the pirates. It's like real high sea adventure. Yeah, yeah right. And and um, it's really cool. Like, I befriend the crew, you know, the chef Sri, Link, Sri Lankan. He gets me hooked on Sri Lankan food, you know? Yeah. Because he, he, he kept giving me the same stuff as, like, the Bulgarians. He's like, you know, you want your burgers and stuff? I'm like, no, nah, like, let me try some of that. Like, let mm-hmm. me try some of that spicy mm-hmm. stuff. So he, he gets me hooked on gets me hooked on Sri Lankan cuisine. We go we go along uh, South Australia. I get out in Perth. This, you know, do some humanitarian work. Uh, shout out. Jeez, shout so out you, go, you go down the west coast of Australia, which is itself, like, not a place that a lot of people are at. So the most the most isolated big city on earth but we had members there a uh, shout out to nicolina um quickly get off the cargo ship i spent night i spent one night at my friend's house there um you know did some kind of recruiting telling them more about the organization perth mm-hmm. is perth, have you been no i haven't been to perth i have done australia but i didn't make it all the way over there because it's so remote you know we okay we, we got we got to talk a little bit of how are we on time you've got basically seven minutes okay i can do this Okay. I was born for this. Okay, so Perth, middle of nowhere. Um, I would have got off in Perth to take the railroad across Australia, but that train runs every two weeks, so I couldn't, so I get right back on the cargo ship, okay? Mm-hmm. We'll go along southern Australia uh, by Adelaide. There were some whales by Adelaide. Yeah. Doesn't stop, it doesn't stop in Melbourne, by the way. It drops me off right in Sydney. Key takeaway 
from this podcast, in my opinion, the okay. most gorgeous city on the face of the planet, and it's not even close. Sydney? You said Sydney? Uh, you, you disagree? No, Sydney. I Sydney, believe Australia. that. Yeah, I, I could support that. Um, I mean, Australia is just such an incredible place. Like, I would move there, obviously. It's like it's very American-friendly, <laughs> but it's still, like, pretty foreign. And But but, but sunny, right? So it's kind of yeah. like the culture, like, we kind of know in, in Canada, but sunny. Anyway, like, super exotic country. Yeah. Um, as soon as I got off, off this cargo ship, um, I went, I went, and I stayed in three different neighborhoods. So every neighborhood in, in Sydney is, like, a different culture experience. The first one I stayed in, like, you go for a walk. And you see these things flying and you just assume they're birds, but they're bats, like giant fruit bats, like oh, flying wild. over you. Yeah. And they have um, like cockatoos know. everywhere too, like cockatoos in the trees. Yes. Yeah. Like, like what, what we thought were like exotic birds are just like kind of randomly f- flying, you know, like pigeons everywhere. Like pigeons in New yeah. York, there's cockatoos yeah. just everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, at the beginning, like you're just taking pictures of everything, but then you're like, oh, no, this is just what they have. Anyway, yeah. ama- like my... My favorite city in the entire world, Sydney, Australia, is just that it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, anyway, to hurry up, uh, go to Canberra, capital school, meet the Serbian ambassador, do some humanitarian work, doing humanitarian work this entire time. However, I got to get home. Like, you yeah. know, I have the entire Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Uh, well, it doesn't seem a, so far, you know, now. Like, now that you've been now, this far, man. You know, now, 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 now I'm kind of, I kind of smell blood. I'm almost home. Uh, I booked a cargo ship from Melbourne to New Zealand, South Island in New Zealand. So Mm -hmm. take the train down from Sydney to Melbourne. Melbourne's cool, kind of like your standard, it was built on a grid, you know, just kind of like they designed it from the very beginning. They're like, we're gonna make a massive city here called Melbourne, it's gonna be on a grid. Much different to Sydney, which is kind of like chaotic, awesome. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, Catch catch an Australian Open game really quick. Say what's up to, to Novak Djokovic. Get on a cargo ship. Uh, I love now. that Novak's just like a side character. Yeah, so. right. You know, he's he's, he's following uh, me around the world. Yeah. Now, this cargo trip, this cargo trip journey was a little trippy because now I now I go to some places that not many people have been. We went from Melbourne under the South Island of New Zealand, mm-hmm. which That's means some I was Lord of the Rings. I mean, nothingness. Yeah, I was in, I was I was in the Antarctic Ocean. So now you're two weeks away from like the the nearest helicopter rescue, mm-hmm. okay? So like you know now that now you're then I'm, when I was there I was like okay and then I got seasick for the first time in my life. We had 15 meter waves mm-hmm. on this cargo ship in the Antarctic oceans. Anyway, always take ginger candy if you get seasick. Or quick side note for everyone. Um, however, I make it. They drop me off on the South Island uh, of New Zealand most southern city in the world it's called aberdeen it's named after the place of scotland the entire city's on a slant there's sheep everywhere um very scottish i bus yeah right well that's who settled it yeah uh i bus through new zealand the most like gorgeously weird scenery in the entire world um you know it's like as someone mixed like 10 different landscapes into one and created new zealand very cool cool cities wellington hamilton finally uh, get dropped off in Auckland. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, Auckland. Auckland. Auckland? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool city. Big tower in the middle. No Apple Store, which kind of sucked. Um, <laughs> and at this point, this, this point, I had like already. Oh yeah, I had like in the South Island. I I tried to fly my drone to get some shots. However, the drone uh, interfered with the ship's 
navigation equipment and just went kind of crazy and then like attacked oh, me and then shit. flew off. That happens. Yeah. So, so my, my drone is somewhere out there in this, in the Antarctic for future generations that will dig it up anyway yeah. in Auckland, get on the final stretch home. And this is kind of cool. This was a cruise 30 day cruise across the Pacific back to North America stopped in, uh, Fiji, no, not Fiji, uh, Tonga, the uh -huh. kingdom of Tonga, mm -hmm. Christian kingdom in the middle of the Pacific ocean. Colonization, man. Colonization, you know, stopped in Tonga, uh, stopped in Samoa. Mm -hmm. um, these and these are these are beautiful kind of Pacific islands that just completely depend on on tourism. Stopped in stopped in Tahiti, Tora Bora. It rained the day we stopped, so that kind of sucked. Lost another drone because it drowned in the water, and then finally the final stop, you know, place many people have been. Uh, if they, you know, if they were lucky enough to see it, Honolulu, Hawaii. Yeah. Very gorgeous city. Wa Waikiki Beach, probably one of the nicest things I've ever seen in my life. And then finally, back to the North American continent in mainland after nearly like two and a half years, three year and a half years of travel. Where did you finally Let, land back in North America? The gorgeous San Diego. One of my favorite cities in America. San Diego is really cool, actually. That's, a, that's an yeah. amazing city. It's um, beautiful. So as we kind of wind down, down here, I just want to pick your brain for one second and ask you again how this journey changed your perception of the world. Wow. Um, in so many ways, we're all connected. Like, like you said, human beings are generally kind. Human beings are truly generally kind. You know, once you start talking to them, once you're kind of like, hey, what do you do? I'm a humanitarian. Like, I'm, I'm really weird. I don't take planes. They kind of they kind of see, um, like, you know, why you're there. If you take any kind of, like, interest in their culture, people just get flattered. They like you more. You connect. Um, yeah. So, you know, I kind of encourage everyone that can that has the opportunity to see as much as, uh, of the world as you can. It's not a scary place. Most of the world is, is friendly, is safe. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful place to explore. I cannot think of a better way to wrap up such a crazy around the world journey. So Philippe, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everybody visit 28june.org. Uh, get involved if you can. Why not? If you're somebody that likes to donate to humanitarian causes, uh, it's a pretty good one with an absolutely incredible backstory. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to tell my story. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's Get Lost podcast. The show is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. If you want to connect with us and enter a cool contest for fun prizes, check us out on Instagram at Get Lost Podcasts.